0: Mmm. Talking with composer Chris Hagian, who last year composed two fantastic documentaries, uh, Unraveled and First Position. Uh, Chris also has done a number of uh, sequels for Disney, uh, family friendly franchi- franchises like Inspector Gadget and Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Um, but to start off, how did you get involved with music and what led you to be a film composer?
1: Cool. Well, you know, I um, started out playing trumpet. My dad was a professional trumpet player, so I had the love of music early. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, he exposed me to uh, the jazz classics and the classical world. So I always adored both of those genres of music. Uh, And I was pursuing trumpet playing. I uh, got accepted to the high school of performing arts. I was there and they made the movie Fame. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a, that was an amazing experience, by the way. That school is this phenomenal training. But um, so anyway, when I was playing trumpet, you know, I was always very drawn to composition. I never studied it formally up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, after high school, I got accepted to Manhattan School of Music, which is a conservatory here in New York City, as a trumpet major. And that's when I sort of just said, you know what, I love the trumpet. It's a great instrument, but I didn't see it as my life's, Journey. Right, and it's funny. It's funny you ask because I was telling this story the other day to somebody. I, I remember like playing in orchestras, like, and I'd be playing like you know Mahler symphony or something or, or Ravel, and I would like you know instead of focusing on my part, I'd be like, wow, that oboe part is so cool. <laughs> you know, and a couple times I would miss my entrance. You know, yeah. So I found <laughs> that my ear was going to other places. So anyway, I, I made the leap of faith, and even though I'd been writing things of my own and in, in classical and jazz. I said I'm gonna try out for the composition department at my School school music, and after my freshman year, I and I made it. I got into the school, so it, you know, it kind of showed me that I had some ability, certainly to compose, um, you know, at, the, at that level. As far as getting involved with film, so once I kind of started pursuing that training, like I was always just very tapped into the into the um, the magic of what music does to picture, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, whether I was listening to a Bernard Herrmann score or, you know, any something classic or Korngold or Williams, I just loved the genre. I, I, I looked at it as, like, you know, like an American, a classic American genre, you know, even though, of course, there are Europeans that are in that world.
0: Right, right. But
1: I thought the music was staggering, and I was a kind of obsessive as a kid. You know, I would, like, play a scene from a movie and then put different music against it, you know, just to show how that emotion, you know, radically can shift someone's perception. Right, right, yeah. So anyway, after after college, and I'm sorry if I'm being a little long-winded, I will wrap this up. Not at all. After I got my classical um, degree, you know, I had the kind of chops, and I, you know, I, I understood the orchestra and I understood form and structure. I got out and uh, doing some small jobs in music. I got really very involved in commercials and commercial work soon after school. Uh, just so invested in all the synths and all that mm-hmm. stuff, which was kind of just kind of starting out at that point. I graduated in '87. And that study, it sounds kind of crazy because even though you're dealing with 30 seconds or 60 seconds, if you're lucky, man, you really develop skills as far as like picture to music. And even though, you know, yeah, you're selling a product and stuff like that, it doesn't have the narrative that a film or a documentary has. I really started to develop the understanding of marrying, you know, composition to picture and cuts and edits and pacing. So right,
0: right.
1: That, sort of, that sort of made my leap. And then right after, you know, I did that for a couple of years, got some great experience. And then I just said, you know, I, I have to do something longer than 60 seconds. I thought <laughs> I had skills that warranted that. And I just kind of made the leap. And I really kind of said goodbye to the advertising world. And I kind of, you know, did a couple of small indies and worked my way up and just started to learn my craft, you know.
0: That's a cool journey. I like that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we all get there. How we get there, you yeah, know. But yeah. for me, it was, I was. You know, I was just happy that I. I think it was important for me that I that I kind of guess, I didn't want to like do commercials and then do narrative films. You know, I guess didn't. I, I don't want to say I don't want to be corrupted, but I. You know, I didn't want to bring. That there's a similar skill set, but you you know you also have to forget all about that. I mean, there's not much other relationship between doing a small commercial and doing that, you know, creating an arc of a story in a, right. in a film score. So right. I just didn't want to, like, have that on my plate. I mean, financially, it was crazy because I was making good money in commercials, and all of a sudden, I'm doing these
0: indie films for no money, Right. But, right. you know, it, it, it all worked out, you know. <laughs> That's good. Um, it all worked out. But, uh, so, when when you're writing for, say, a picture, what, what's the most inspiring aspect of of the story when you write it? Is it it the characters, uh, the plot, the setting? You know, what do you focus on first and how do you incorporate the rest?
1: Well, you know, whatever the narrative is, I mean, it it differs a little bit between a a scripted feature or a documentary. Right,
0: of course. I tell
1: you what, you know, what what inspires me, you know, obviously any kind of emotional connection, whether it's to a character or the plight of a character or... You know, and then the other thing that is something that composers really, really play off of is the cinematography, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure most composers would agree, but, it, I, you know, I don't hear people talking about it as much. The look, the, the physical look of a film, I think, you know, it's that kind of, they put that visual stamp, and, and a, a composer, when he scores the film well, tonally is putting that, you know, that auditory stamp. And, right. you know, there is a real connection between somebody filming something. I mean, you just kind of look like, like film noir has a look, right? And that motivated a certain sound, you know, with that. Or, you know, the way um, like Darren Aronofsky would shoot a film, you know, it's more phonetic. And it, so there is a real correlation. So, um, you know, like in the case of either of these documentaries, uh, both these stories were so uh, captivating, you know, one being about a corrupt lawyer who's going to go to prison, mm-hmm. and the other one in first position being about sort of an inspirational, life-affirming story of this, you know, this journey of these families and their kids who want to pursue ballet for a lifestyle, as a life, you know? Right. So, you know, those stories, you know, you really tapped into those stories. And I have to tell you, Kaya, like, in Unraveled, It sounds a little crazy, but I really tried to channel myself into the world of this lawyer, like just get into his mind. Like, why would this guy with a degree from Harvard and Yale, with this mega practice, why would he go down this path of, you know, deception, scams, stealing, and ultimately ruining his entire name and his family's name and going to prison? Like, I really wanted to say, you know, psychologically, what would you know the human condition, what would make me do something like that,
0: which yeah, I think composers need to be good at that, yeah, I feel like composers you know why talk to psychiatrists, just talk to a composer, you know <laughs> because they have you,
1: you know Kaya, you were so right, i mean that there is a, such a close you know and it's and it's funny you say that because I always feel like the relationships I make with directors and producers and anyone else creatively involved in a project i mean there's so much like i always feel like if i took psychology classes i would have you know it's very useful in the communication in the creative communication yeah, yeah. so yeah but in the documentaries you know you're really connecting to the stories and and with that though you know you have to have a delicate hand in documentaries you know you i mean even more so than uh, than even the smallest of indie film because uh i'm always watching myself that i am doing something that is honest and uh, you know True and not at all encumbering the narrative or slanting something in the direction that the director does not want it to go
0: to. Right. And, and, and talking about documentaries, I always I've I've interviewed other composers who've done them, and I th- I feel like that's a very uh, tricky tricky thing to do because how do you find the right balance when you're doing nonfiction, and how do you work mm-hmm. around obstacles such as you know there's interviews and uh, and for instance in a first position you probably had to deal with a lot of uh, source music because it's, you know focusing around dancers so how do you work around stuff like that that kind of pops up
1: Absolutely really really great question and that is the core and and I'll, and I'll give you a couple answers on how I approach first position specifically because that one had major challenges uh, as far as that So just globally with documentaries you know like I said I mean a lot of it comes with having the confidence as a composer to write small and know that it, you can write small and it could be as profound and as beautiful as something over the top you know if if you throw a blanket and write in a way I mean for two reasons one I think you're doing a disservice to the genre of documentary films which is you know uh, almost anyone that has any sense of integrity will say they're trying to put something out there and they want the audience to decide the key element they're not telling the audience how to decide now listen There are documentary filmmakers who make like political oriented or you have agenda driven. That's different. I'm talking about in like a documentary standard one like these two that I've done in that sense. So with the challenges, like in first position, when I first saw the film, I um, Bess Kargman, the director, um, showed it to me, and and it had like you said, it it has I think about fifty or fifty eight source cues. Now the source cues are these. Classic ballet, you know, dance pieces, Tchaikovsky and all the stuff that they dance. doing. Okay, so not only is that stuff on screen when we're seeing them perform or rehearse or the competition in some cases, it's leaking all over the film in other areas because, look, you know, they see someone come off stage, they're getting the reaction of the performance, and you're hearing the next performance, you're hearing the stage. I mean, that makes it really vibrant because you really feel like you're in that, you feel like you're backstage with them. But some of the most key areas that we wanted to address through the score were the reactions to performance, whether they're positive or negative, the insecurities, the um, finding the, uh, the embracing your mother or your coach backstage, you know, all that stuff because what you don't get to see when you see a standard performance, right? And that's letting us into the world of what is going on through these characters. So when we looked at it and we spotted the film, we're like, man, there's a lot of music cues that are coming right before, budding yeah. <laughs> up right before and right after. So a uh, first thing I did, I like I said, I have to find a tactical way to to, un- to uh, be aware of that and also a way to kind of make my transition as smooth as possible. So I did, I spent hours making a key map of every source cue, what key they were in, and many of them modulate. So I had to make a, what key did they start, what key did they end? with the SMPTE time code. So I was, when I wrote the cue that I knew was going to go up against those, I wrote in related keys. So if I have a cue that's ramping up to somebody that you're going to then see on stage, however I decide to resolve it, that key seamlessly goes right into the classical piece. okay. So just by virtue that the keys weren't like big, you know, conflicting, weird intervals, it made the whole thing flow. And that was a big... Part of conquering that, and you know, I, luckily, I think it works because so many people have come up to me and said it fit in so well. I didn't even know what was score and what was. I'm like, oh, well, beautiful. If anybody, if anybody comes out of the experience with that, then I was happy to know that because I didn't want it. I don't want people to be taken out of the moment. I want to enhance those moments. I don't want them to think, what is this music that came in? Is this from the stage? You know, you don't want them to think any of that. you yeah, want want right, To right, go yeah. with it. So, and then you know, the the standard challenges on documentaries and as in general are you know massively dialogue driven regardless of the genre you know occasionally you get some montage moments um so you know as a composer you have to always be aware dialogue is going to be key i mean you got to hear what these people are saying you know so that does affect the writing that affects the the arrangement of the cues and it affects you know even something as simple as like you know knowing it sounds crazy but the frequency of, of voices like you know sometimes you don't write in those frequencies knowing that like if you want the music to kind of envelop it and, but not be pulled down so much, you, know, you kind of make sure you write away from the dialogue so that the music can still serve a beautiful purpose but not fight. I mean, that's, you know, listen, that, that craft, as far as I'm concerned, of writing around dialogue for a composer is a constantly evolving craft. And, it, you know, it, that's one of those things like when you first out in the business, it takes a while to really get that down.
0: Do you, when, you're, when you're writing for documentaries, do you ever have to remind yourself that you're writing you know, for nonfiction, do you ever get lost in, like, oh, you know, you know do you feel like you're, you know, doing a, a fictional story? Do you have to remind yourself that it's reality?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's so much a reminder. It's just like, you know, just checking myself and this scale. And, you know, listen, this is also where, you know, you rely on a director, too, for this. Like, You know, there might be, you know, this doesn't mean there aren't moments in a doc that you enhance a little more. You know, look, it's still, you know, we're still scoring emotion and stuff. But yes, there are times I mean I get wrapped up in it, you know, and you know, I might get wrapped up in the story, but you know I mean I think that's where the perspective comes like you know, like it's, it's something as simple as you know like if you're working on a couple cues a day, you know maybe there's a, a queue I work at the end of the day and maybe it's like I kind of like where it's going,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: instead of playing it for the director that day or when you're finished, come in the next morning and it it does world it just does a world of good to get that. One night and come in the next day, and so many times the next day I go, okay, I was close. This went a little too much, and you know I, I might scale it back, and mm-hmm. and then of course you know whatever feedback you get from the director as well. But uh, you know yes, I I am constantly keeping my my antennas
0: up to, like, being honest. And, you know and not and not overplaying. You know. Right. Okay. You don't want to you don't want to overdo it, or else then it becomes forced emotion, and then it and it kind of yeah. bo- bogs the listener down or the viewer. Um, yeah. And uh, so you've also done a lot of uh, stuff for Disney, and sequels for uh, Inspector Gadget and Beverly Hills Chihuahua, and and uh, Tooth, yep. Fa- Tooth Fairy. Um, working, you know, they're, they're you know harmless family films. But mm-hmm. are you you're approaching these franchises, you know, coming in to the second films, or that have already yeah. been established? Do you have what's the challenge when you're? When you're coming into something that already has an established sound, are you, are the producers saying, we want it to sound like this, or do you, do you listen to the first film at all, or do you just start from scratch?
1: Yeah, you know, I do, and I'll tell you the challenges I need. I, I got into this world because one of my uh, dear friends, Alex Zam, is a director, and he's gotten into doing a lot of these uh, Disney family films, and the second one, you know, we mm. will always laugh, one day we're going to do the first one,
0: you know, <laughs> but... Um,
1: but what, what is challenging about these? First off, doing a family, any kind of comedy or comedy family or a comedy that skews young is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, for a composer. Uh, it, for two reasons. The sheer scope of music you're writing is insane. I mean, these movies are, are temped and they're spotted almost wall-to-wall music. I well, mean, yeah. you know, we, we, I go into these spotty and say, I always laugh because we say, I always say, why don't you just start at one hour and I'll just end at one hour and... 48 minutes you know like, I mean there are barely any gaps I mean I, I think that that's a little problematic too in, in the fact that I think everyone is overusing music and film in general mm-hmm. but I understand for a kid's audience okay so the challenges is that are, first off it's an enormous amount of, of music written um, most of the directors especially Alex my friend in this case he is one of these guys that is very meticulous he likes perspective shifts everything scored, everything hit. You know, it's not, like I'm, it's not like I'm playing over cuts and stuff. It's really like, you know, now the angle of the dog and now from this. And, you know, so like all those things, he likes a dress. He likes that style of scoring. That, it's kind of a classic comedy style,
0: mm-hmm.
1: although I might be modernizing it. So that, but, but with that comes a lot of work. You know, I mean, that's like, you're not just plowing through, writing big melodies. Like everything is hit in the dress, you know, making hit points. So right. that's challenging. I do listen to the scores of all the first because usually the studio is going to want to ha- just make sure that like it, you know it does they're not asking me to cop the themes or do it or not but they want it to have some relevance as I'm sure they do in you know script writers as well you know they try to keep it on point right uh, so the then then the third thing that's the biggest challenge is you know the buckets for the sequels are probably a quarter of what they spent on the real one right so now I'm listening to Beverly Hills Chihuahua the first score it's like a 90-piece orchestra. It sounds incredible, you know, with all those nylon string guitars and all that stuff. So I'm like, okay, great. And now, you know, I don't have anywhere near the budget for that. Right. So, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of kind of inventiveness to to do my best because I want to keep the scale on that level. And look, the director did the same thing too. You know, he had less money and he's still trying to, make sure all the effects and the CGI, you know, they don't look compromised because the budget is lower. So I, right, right. I honestly feel like it's it's harder to do the sequels of a lot of these films for that reason,
0: you know? I mean, and also, yeah, you're you're dealing with, a, uh, I think a lot of people put a label on them. They're like, oh, they're just, you know, direct-to-video and stuff. But, you know, you I know you guys are trying. No one, I don't think, sets out to make, you know, bad movies and stuff like that. No,
1: so. no, you know, you know it's, a, it's a great point. And look, you could look at things that way, Look, to me, it's an opportunity. And look, I'm you know i not saying I only want to do those films in my whole life. But, you know, you have a film in front of you. You do the best possible job. You learn a lot from the process. You hopefully make some new connections of people that become fans of yours. You know, and that's really all you can do. You know, Yeah, exactly. Look, I, are the scripts always the best in the world? No, not necessarily. But, you know, I have news for you. Those films, almost every one of those sequels, if you ask the studio as far as their investment and their, their payoffs, thrilled they do oh, yeah, yeah. They do that. It's, it's crazy I mean it's like they, they would do that every time if they could you
0: know? yeah <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> well to, to to slowly wrap things up I'll ask you some uh, some hypothetical questions um, oh, so this are gonna get hard now <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of thought yeah. of this when I was asking you about um, uh, about setting and character and stuff I, I don't think I've ever I haven't asked anybody this question but so so ga- say I gave you a picture, a candid picture of a of a person, just you know, snapshot of their daily life. Or I gave uh-huh. you, or I gave you a picture of a house in a, on, in a meadow or a cottage or something. What photograph right. would you want to write, say, a four minute suite to? What would be easier for you? Okay, so I got. And let me get my choice here. What curtain? The curtain
1: one is a photograph of the house on a meadow. Yeah. Yeah. The other one, the first one was.
0: Just a a, just a person, just a person, maybe sitting on a bench, maybe uh, eating food. What would be easier to write? You know, a a sweet. I'm going
1: to say the easier to write is the meadow, the house in the meadow. First off, it's not a human character, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Although you know, I would interpret that as you know, I could clearly score that in a John Williams way and make it a glorious Americana thing. I could score it. Uh, like in in a horror genre and make it like it you know God knows what lurks inside of this house right mm-hmm, so yeah. I mean I could look at that um, I will quote Billy Wilder the great filmmaker who I read his book and I think it's essential for every composer to read this book and what he says in the book is he says if you have a scene where a guy you know opens his door and enters his his house fine he says. Have him enter through the window, and now you got something. <laughs> and, you know, and I think it's brilliant because what he's talking about is the subtext. Because first you're gonna say, well, why is this guy going through a window? Is he robbing the house? Did he forget his keys? Is he sneaking in? Right? It says so much more than just opening up a door.
0: Right.
1: So, so that's why I would make that up, But what I would say about the person is, you know, uh, there are probably more creative liberties I could take. I could probably slant that in many different ways. You know, I could. I would just say you know, I can, uh, I can dig into like, you know, well, who is this person? Is he quirky? Is he odd? Is he lonely? You know? So I think the easier choice would be the metal because it's yeah. not the human element.
0: Okay, cool. Very good answer. I like it. <laughs> and, uh, I always wrap up uh, with this question. I always ask composers, um, if you had the chance to write the score to any film ever made with no disrespect to the original composer, what film would you choose?
1: Man. Okay. Just give me a second or two. Cause I, ha- I kind of have a list. <laughs> Okay, you're not saying from the point of view of like I didn't like what they did you're saying from the point of view of like an opportunity right like, that,
0: no no yeah, correct? no, no disrespect like what, what what playground would you like to play and what would you what story you know, inspires you wants you to make you write music? i tell
1: you like I'll I, I tell you a film that I come back to that like, I just, I'm very connected to like I, I'll look at a film like The Insider right something like that that mm, deals yeah. with you know you've got massive emotion you've got a lot of internal you know kind of it's interesting characters, you know, shot in the way of Michael Mann shoots, so it's fascinating. Uh, I w- I'll pick that film and say even other things in that genre. I, I would, I would just love to dot- delve into because you can really see things. Things that I think, and I'm, I'm catching myself by saying that I-, I think when you look at a film like that, it's sort of combining the skills they have in a way because, like, you know, you come from the dark world, right? And Michael Mann kind of makes those films, specifically in Insider. You know, they're not these big scores. You know, they're like, they're tapping into something at a core level. And that's what I find really challenging and, and, and you know, satisfying. You know, I did a film, The Take, that time Zan Leguizamo in there. And okay, I got right, to, yeah. like, explore that world a little. It's a really great little film. And I just so fell in love with that process. You know, and I don't necessarily, you know, I haven't done too many more in that genre recently, but I hope I get a chance to, uh, to, to explore that field. Even more, you know, and you know, Kai. I'd love to just mention one thing offhand. Someone asked me once, and your questions reminded me of this. Mm-hmm. They always say, like, "Well, what's the, you know, what's the easiest genre of, you know, of film music to write?" And I, and you know, I always answer the same way. I go, "Big bombast, right. always the easiest. Yeah, it, it, because every, any composer with decent skills and knows how to, you know, how the orchestra works and functions, big melodies, sweeping, and, and this is no disrespect for the guys that do that masterfully. But, you know, you're dealing with a specific sound that's big and broad. You're not dealing with intricacies in a similar level. And, it's like, and, and everyone accepts that it's big and over the top. So, you know, right off the bat, it's like, okay, you know, great, go for it, you know, right. it's just ped- it's pedal to the metal and have fun and write a beautiful theme, you know?
0: So. It's, it's true. I, uh, Hans Zimmer was talking about Inception and everyone, there's a track called Mombasa and it's just a, a you know, yeah. just a crazy a- action track and he's like, yeah, I wrote that in one night the other stuff was the hard stuff,
1: you know? <laughs> it, it's interesting to hear that because that really is true and you know, I think that, that extends into like DPs too, like you know, directors of photography, they get credit, like you know, i never forget the guy that won an Out of Africa, I think he was an Indian gentleman, and when he got an Oscar, he said, I won this Oscar because of my second unit team.
0: Thank mm-hmm. you to
1: them. Because he knew that Oscar voters were voting him that Oscar on those big shots of the animals on the planes, right?
0: Right. When
1: he said in an interview, they don't realize, I think, the hardest thing to do is like, light a scene in a tent, you know, capture scene
0: <laughs> in a tent with a candle on beautifully. Yeah. You know, so s- same kind of thing. So really interesting parallel, man. Well, um, this has been an absolutely uh, fantastic interview. Thank you so much for the time you've it really uh, given
1: Thank you. I, I hope I didn't wax too poetic, but I really enjoyed speaking with you, and thanks for the time as well.